everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for Let's Talk About God today. Today's episode is actually part two of our series on the incarnation. When we set out to record this episode, we didn't intend for it to be in two parts, but as we were recording, the subject is just so deep and has so much material. We figured it would be best to split this episode into two different parts. So if you haven't yet, pause this episode, go and listen to part one on the incarnation, and then come back and listen to this episode, which is part two of the subject on the incarnation This subject is just so deep. It's got so much material. We wanted to do it justice. Instead of trying to cram everything into an hour episode, we wanted to take as much time as we needed so that you were able to receive a a robust understanding of this subject of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And here's what's cool too. You're actually getting a bonus episode because next week we are actually still releasing our episode on the theme of Christmas. So you're just getting extra Let's Talk About God this month. So Merry Christmas to you. That's our gift to you is some extra time of hearing us ramble about theology. But thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's episode and learn a lot. And make sure to check us out next week on our episode on Christmas. Thank you so much. So quickly, what we want to do is we want to go through some of these heresies. Um, That way you kind of have the backstory and then tell you what Chalcedon settled. And then we're just going to kind of lay it out there for you. What is the incarnation and and describe what does it mean for us? So now that Nicaea settled, there became this new heresy called Apollinarianism. That's a mouthful from this guy named Apollinarius. He said that the Son was consubstantial with the Father, the same substance, same nature. Yet in the incarnation, the Son took an incomplete human nature. He believed that the Son had a human body, but not a human soul. That's interesting. So that's kind of, it's kind of sketchy. Now you're thinking, oh my gosh, what does that mean? So now you've got this debate in which he's saying, yeah, there's this body There's this empty space to be filled, but Jesus does not have a true human soul. And I believe my understanding is the human soul would be like a, like the human psyche, human emotions, human personality, what makes you a unique, true human. And instead he, he believed that the divine spirit of God filled up essentially this empty room, this empty body and became man. And so now you've got this fusion of God spirit with this human body. Half and half. Half and half. Half and half creamer. Yes. It's like your half and half creamer that you put in your coffee. A little bit of caffeine, a little bit of non-caffeine. No, your half and half creamer is like half cream and it's half 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 milk or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Little little cups you put in your coffee. Uh, That's what it's half and half. Yep. So you're not getting fully cream and fully milk or whatever, and it's half and half. That's what they're kind of saying. He's not fully human. Uh, He's half human, but he's controlled by the divine part that's in him. So it's like it gets a little sketchy um, thinking about it, but this is important because if Jesus is not fully human, we've got some issues here. So what they settle is that to be truly human, you have to possess a human soul, human psyche. What makes you you? 
Mm-hmm. What makes you unique? What makes you truly human to have to think in a human way, to desire in a human way, human emotions, uh, human personality, the jokes you're going to tell? Like, every, you know what I mean? What brings life to the body as a true human? You're not just this brain operating. You're something more. Um, and the problem with that um, is that if Christ is not fully human, then he cannot fully represent us. Right. And so there's, there's this guy with this great quote. His name's Gregory the Theologian. He was kind of in there, uh, him, him and a squad of, of Eastern theologians called the Cappadocian Fathers. They helped old Athanasius out. Anyways, he said, what is not assumed? <laughs> I'm sorry. Who's the comedian who says his name is blank the comedian? Who's the guy? Oh, <laughs> it's like, is it thinking, the entertainer Cedric the Entertainer? Yeah, there you go, Cedric the Entertainer, and you have Gregory, Gregory the, the Theologian. theologian. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That has actually nothing to do, but that's just hit me funny that there's a guy. You know, they must add Cedric the Entertainer and Gregory the Theologian. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, so he says, "What is not assumed is not healed," which I think is excellent because he says, "If Jesus has not fully and completely become a human, he cannot fully and completely heal humanity." or save humanity. He's not our real representative. He becomes the representative of some God-man hybrid. Right. But he needs to be fully human. And so That's they, good. what they declared is that Jesus, when he came to this earth, had a true human soul. Then we move on to another one called Nestorianism. This is our second one of three. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople, Nestorius. He acknowledges there's full deity and humanity of Christ in two natures. But in his confusion, he essentially taught that there were two persons who came together with two natures. So he believed that there is like the Jesus human body, but that there is a Jesus guy, like human, like dude, like person. And then he also taught that there was the divine nature, omnipresent, all-powerful, all of those things, and then another Jesus person. And then when they put those together, what you saw was human Jesus talking and acting, telling human jokes, whatever, but he's really being controlled by divine Jesus person, like a little bit of multiple personality disorder. So his wasn't two natures uh, or substances. He was talking actual persons there were personalities. There were two natures, but there were also two persons. persons. Right, two natures that were actually persons, it's which like is if, heresy. Yeah, exactly. It's right. like if there's a company and there's two owners, two business leaders, and one is the one that talks all the time and does the press conferences. And the one's but, in the back of the shop and you don't see him. Yeah, you don't see him, but he's yeah. actually influencing everything that dude says out there. And it's like, you better say this correct. I think I remember this. And then like, this is the guy that said that when Jesus died on the cross— that the that the the Jesus the divine Jesus didn't die on the cross just the human Jesus he pulled away and just the human Jesus died on the cross yeah, yeah. this is oh that's that's like out there so now yeah now you got multiple heresy. personality disorder Jesus and you don't know what Jesus you're talking to and it's kind of wild so what they concluded from this is no there's not two different persons two different actors there's not a human Jesus trying to listen to God Jesus there's one person the person is the primary actor the primary there's just one person. One person. Person yeah. or personality. One personality. Yeah. yeah, there's one with two with two yes. natures. And then there's finally there's there's this thing called monophysitism. 
That's good. Say that, that five times. Monophysitism, monophysitism, monophysitism. This guy named Eutyches, um, a leader in a monastery, a presbyter, he taught that because of the incarnation, Christ's human nature was taken up, absorbed, and merged into a divine nature. So now what we've got is instead of a full human, fully human, and fully God, his human nature, his human body, and the divine nature like morphed and fused together, and now you've got this physical, divine, human body so nature. So you had a thing. divine nature and a human nature that came together and created a brand new, third, brand different new kind of nature. Yep. A divine human nature. Exactly. And that's not true. And they call it monophysitism because one. Right. right. One but that's nature. A, a composite, but that's... That, that is not true. That's heresy. So with okay. all of that being said, with pointing out all of the heresies, all of the nonsense that was going on at Chalcedon, they basically came to this decision on, on the incarnation, on what it actually means, on who Jesus is, answering all of these different questions. Because if Jesus is not truly human, if he's some weird mixture, if he's got a weird soul, if he's multiple personality Jesus, well, a real human person has the, you know, is just one person. It doesn't make sense. Anyways, they came to this conclusion, and here's where we're going to kind of hang out. And, and this is powerful. This, this creed is pretty amazing. After the Chalcedonian creed, after all of the discussions, here's what they settled on that summarized Jesus Christ is one person, but he's two natures. And along with his two natures, he has two wills. Boom. There it is. I think you should read the creed. You want me to read the whole creed? I think you should read the creed. It's Let, our, let the listeners hear this. This is pretty powerful. This was written in 451, but this shows you how how much these these bishops and leaders, church, that were working through this. Mm-hmm. You know, in our time, we think we're the most intelligent yep. people here, you know, whatever, in the 21st really century. And, you know. Just look, listen, just read it. Go ahead and read it. Here it is, the Chalcedonian Creed 451. In agreement, therefore, with the Holy Fathers, we all unanimously teach that we should confess that our Lord Jesus Christ is one and the same Son, the same perfect in Godhead and the same perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, the same of a rational soul and body, consubstantial with the Father in the Godhead and the same consubstantial with us in manhood, like us in all things except sin, begotten from the Father before the ages as regards his Godhead, and in the last days the same, because of us and because of our salvation, begotten from the Virgin Mary, the Theotokos, which just means the mother of God, as regards his manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, made known in two natures without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the difference of the natures being by no means removed because of the union, but the property of each nature being preserved and coalescing in one prosopon, which means person, and one hypostasis, which means, yeah, hypostasis, excuse me, hypostasis, can't talk, not parted or divided into two prosopa persons, but one and the same son, only begotten, 
divine word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets of old and Jesus Christ himself have taught us about him and the creed of our fathers has handed down. It's pretty amazing. Boom. I mean, that's, that's just unbelievable, and it's rich. And that stated, so you know, now our listeners have heard that, that that's, we're not going to break that thing down. No, that would here, take forever. Here's the whole point, and that's what we want to get to, and then we're going to talk about a, a couple, three things here I think you're going to just find really fascinating. And we're going to make sense of all this for us, so how it actually applies. So the incarnation is one person with two natures, two wills. Yeah. Okay? So th- there's there's one person, Okay. Jesus. Yeah. But he has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. So he was 100% God and 100% man. Now break down real quick, break down the difference between a person and a nature. What is a person? What is a nature? Well, I I was reading cuz there's a there's a, there's something called the hypostatic union, which mm-hmm. is the union of two natures into one hypostasis, which is a person. Yeah. And that was this is terminology that they used a lot. And I, I, I got this from Charles Ryrie, and I, so I got to give him credit so you don't yeah. think I'm that smart, but but this is just a great – he says that a nature is a complex of attributes. Okay. A complex of attributes. Okay? So, so here's what he's saying. The single person of the incarnate Christ retained the total complex of divine attributes and possessed all the complex of human attributes essential to a perfect – human being. Mm. So that's a neat way to put it, isn't it? That is. Okay. And and the attributes of both natures, the divine nature and the human natures, belong to the one person without mixing the natures or dividing the person. And that's what the Chalcedon Creed is saying. And and so all right, we're using all this stuff when yeah. we're out here. Let's bring it in. You guys are saying, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> all right, what that means is this is how Jesus could be seen in the Gospels as being physically weak, like when he was on the cross. Because his human nature. Right. But yet, he was omnipotent. Because of the divine nature. Because he's all-powerful. So this is how he could be ignorant of some things. In his human nature. In his human nature. No man knows that day or the hour except the Father, which is in heaven. Okay. But yet be omniscient. Because in his divine nature, he, knows he has everything. to know everything. Okay. They he, never stop. Right. He was limited by time and space. Because he has a human body. And he's limited to one place at one time, yep. but he's still infinite. Because in his divine nature, he's God is, God is infinite. Okay. Wow. And, and a deity cannot die. Yep. Uh, it cannot be thirsty. Mm-hmm. Right? A deity can't be. But yet, the person Jesus the God man, 100% God, 100% man, did both. Mm. He died, he was thirsty, and yet the only way he did that as a God was because he was a man, and yet he, he, tra- he was life. So at the same time, he's upholding the world by his divine power. He's dying on a cross. Right. So that's that's what we're talking about today when you talk about these natures coming together is these complex of attributes, the divine attributes, the physical attributes coming together, but being distinctly different. He was 100% God, 100% man. And the person is the son. Is Jesus. The person is the main actor, the main initiator, the what makes him him apart from his nature. Yes. He is relationally the son, Jesus Christ. 
Right. Not, and he, not two Jesuses. And he filters that through two different natures as you're talking about. Right. And this is where a lot of people have struggled with all this because uh, we already said it earlier, he's doing things that only God can do, accepting mm-hmm. worship, uh, calling himself the son of God, forgiving people. And then there are times when he's operating as a man. Okay. And people say, how is that happening? Yeah. Because I think in the moment he's a, he's, he's a person. Okay. Yeah. With a mission. He's a, he happens to be a divine person who's also clothed with flesh, 100%. Um, I like, I love this. I'm going to say this. The, uh, and this, we see this in the Kenosis passage in Philippians. Uh, the, the incarnation was never the subtraction of deity. It was just the addition of humanity. Yeah. That's just a great line. Yeah, it is. is this, this incarnation was never, this was nothing about him that made him less than God. It was just the addition of humanity. And so at points in his walk, there were times when, when he walked in his humanity, and you say, "Well, you know, why?" I mean, if he's God, why didn't he heal everybody? Be- mm-hmm. Because there was a mission. I mean, he walked into a place, the pool of Bethesda, was the equivalent of a hospital. He healed one person, yeah, because he said, "I only do Point. what the Father tells me to do." Mm-hmm. He could have healed everybody; he had the potential, but he didn't. He was on a mission. He did what needed to be done with a purpose, everything he did as the God man. And so the revelation of those natures, the exercise of the attributes of those natures was contingent upon the moment that he was in as he walked and lived on this earth. And in receiving worship, I think it's important that we worship not just a nature or a force. We worship a person. Yeah. We don't worship attributes. We worship a person. Yeah. And he, that person may have attributes. We can worship God for his omniscience, omnipresence, whatever, but we're not worshiping omnipresence or we're not worshiping power. We're worshiping the person, yeah. God. Yeah. And that's why Jesus Christ, as a human, can receive our worship because he is the person, Jesus Christ, the son of God, yeah. and can receive that worship for us. Yeah, that's deep stuff. And I know we don't want to go too deep, but it just kind of helps you understand that so you know that Jesus was truly God. He was when we say he was the God man, he was the God man. And so I don't know we want to carry this too far. We kind of wrap it up, but um you know, we have a couple more things we want to talk about that really we think you'll enjoy. But one of the things you know, we were when we were getting ready for this, mm-hmm. I you know, I threw one out at you. Um, is he still the God man? Oh yeah. Like where is where is Jesus? Right, right now, now, per the scriptures, where is he supposed to be located at? So Jesus right now, in his divine nature, is everywhere at once because, because he is he's om- omnipresent. omnipresent. But Jesus in his human nature, the last time I checked, rose up from the grave in a glorified human body and is now located at the right hand of the Father, and he will physically return someday for his church, for his bride. He is the firstborn of all creation, and just as he rose again in a glorified physical body, so will we because of his work for us. Right. And we're not even talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, who enables him. You say, well, how can he be in two places? How can he be at every place and yet only one place? Because you've left out the Holy Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the third person who— Lives in us. Who is is everything. Mm -hmm. He is the Spirit of Christ— so that's how spiritually 
he can be omnipresent and yet in that divine human nature form also be seated. He's not one or the other. He's both. So he has the capacity. It's what we're talking about. That's why it makes this so complex. But he's seated at the right. The Bible says this multiple times, by the way, mm-hmm. that, that he's there interceding for us and yeah. whatever. And we'll get in that second. But but he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But when John sees him in Revelation, he is in that God-man state yeah. perpetually now glorified. Yeah. When he re- when he rose from the dead and came back, he was in a glorified human body. Yeah. He said, here's, and he he's kept the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. Mm-hmm. So when he comes back and he eats breakfast with the, uh, with the apostles to reveal, even in his glorified state, he is still the God man. He is still glorified and glowing and passing through walls, but he's also still eating and doing right. all of the other things. And, and he will return one day with the saints to rule and reign on this earth mm-hmm. as the God man. Yeah. Now that's, it's crazy. It starts crazy. Um, real and real quick, we're going to move on to why the incarnation is is important, and I think we need to talk about the kenosis thing as well. Talk to me about the two wills. That is a question that's been brought up. That's uh, that I think is important. Take three minutes. Um, we say that when Jesus has uh, has in his incarnation, he has two wills. He has a divine will and he has a human will. And what we mean is that Jesus, the person, has two natures. And so everything he does is filtered through those natures. So in the divine will, the divine will will never will to eat food because he's hungry. Because the divine nature doesn't get hungry, doesn't eat anything. He will never, you know, will to go to sleep because he's tired. Well, because we need to talk about when he was on earth. I'm talking about the divine nature first. Is what right, I'm but when he was on earth, I would say... And then, yeah so, yeah, so basically, if you look at those natures, the divine nature cannot, will not will certain things, but the divine nature can will to create out of nothing because the divine nature can do that. But now we go to the human nature. The human will has a certain will because of its nature. So, for instance... Jesus in his humanity would will to eat food because he's hungry. And you go, but he's God. But yeah, but he's also man. And so he can will to do those things. And one of the biggest things that we see that points out that Jesus does have a, a human will is he's praying in the garden and he's about to go to the cross. And what does he say? Not my will, but yours. Well, he said, if, this, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't, don't, yeah, I don't want. want to do this, which your will is what you want. And people get confused by that because they think, well, are the wills conflicting? Are they butting heads? Is Jesus as God and Jesus as man, are they, are they clashing together? Or, you know, if Jesus is God and man, he must have one will. He must only want to do this, you know, whatever. And you're going, well, no, there's two wills here because Jesus in his humanity is in self-preservation mode. He is willing naturally don't go die and yet jesus in his human obedience untainted by original sin makes the decision to submit to god the father yeah not my will but your will be done which i think is important to us that jesus christ in his humanity is willing self-preservation but then ultimately submits to the will of the Father and says, not mine, but yours. Right, because I don't think you can say that the divine will of Jesus was in opposition to the divine will of God. Of God the Son was in the divine 
was in opposition to the divine will of God, the Father, mm-hmm. because they're they're one in in all things. So this was the human will, and that's why this is fascinating. If you just hopefully today you're incredibly fascinated, like wow, this is the incarnation is unbelievably yeah. complex, and it's just amazing. Yes, it is. It's amazing. By the way, that's what God. That's the lengths God went to mm-hmm. to come to this earth to do for us what he did. That yeah. ought to make you worship here in the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. And so you're right, but he did have to say, not my will, which was the human will, but your will be done. And by the way, that's what he teaches us. I'm he, encouraged by that. Right. The idea of two wills gives me hope that Jesus and his human will did not want to die, but he did. And I'm like, well, if he can do it through his spirit, maybe I can do it well, too. But Jesus told Peter and the other apostles in the garden in that same situation, you know, couldn't you pray with me one hour? Mm. Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing. Willing. But the flesh is weak. Mm. So guess what? You have a battle inside of you now that you're redeemed and born again. You have two wills in a sense, yeah. Not like Jesus, because we don't have two natures. But you, we have, we have. So there, there are things that our flesh wants to do, but there are things that my spirit, my spirit wants to do what God wants, but my flesh wants to do something that God doesn't want. Yeah. And I have to submit my, my not just my spirit, but my flesh. I have to say, God, even though I don't want to do this, yeah, not what I want, and not what my flesh wants. But your will be done. Because if not, I'll be tempted to do the wrong thing and I'll sin. Yeah. So see, there's a correlation there. That's good. And speaking of which, um, uh, let me throw something at you. Oh, um, this has been argued. So Jesus, we know, was sinless. Um, here's a question I'm going to throw at you. And I already talked about it a little bit, but I'm going to let you you talk about it over the, over the microphone. Um. Was it possible for Jesus to sin or was it impossible for Jesus to sin? Was it possible for Jesus to say, nope, I'm not going to do what you want, and he could have walked away and never went to the cross? Was it possible for Jesus to lie? Was it possible for Jesus to steal? Was it possible for Jesus? Because he's he's inhuman. He has a human nature. Okay, so here's the question. Was it possible or was it impossible? Because some people say it was possible. Some people say, nope. It was impossible. It's yes and no. It's right. got to be yes and no. It's yes and no. Because if you want to talk about is it possible in the strictest sense, it is possible. Because Jesus had a brain, a functioning brain. He was alive. He could have technically technically made the decision to not die and walk away. There's no puppet strings controlling his body. No one was going to force him to do anything. So technically, technically, yes, he and, could have sin. And not just that. The Bible says he was tempted, tempted in all points just as we are, yet without sin. But at the same time, he so, was free from original sin. Right. And he is the person of the Godhead. Who but, is free from sin. But he had a human nature. With a human nature that could be tempted, could be unlike tempted, his divine nature. And he didn't sin. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Yes. So we know he didn't sin, but he was. Te- if you're tempted, you can sin. Technically, 
<laughs> in like technicality, yes. Technically. But it doesn't stop Jesus from being Jesus. Right. And if you sin, he would be sinning against himself. All right. So I'm going to give you. So <laughs> Break it down for so us. So here's what I got. There's the one that says he can't sin, the one that says he can't sin. And what you're saying is what theologians say. Both positions contain an element of truth. Um and it's very difficult sometimes to understand because um, even though Jesus had a divine nature, there's a sense in which Jesus' human nature was allowed to be expressed in the person of Jesus. So, you know, it, mm-hmm. like you said, it wasn't like he was a robot. The human nature wasn't a robot. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and so we, we've talked about, you know, he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And that gets back to what I said before is that he had a mission. He yeah, had a he purpose. And so that that's what this is. So I'm going to give you what my college professor gave me in my, when I took graduate level, mm-hmm. graduate on this, uh, in my systematic theology. And I think this is so great. So y'all got to listen close now. Everybody listen close, okay? Here's what's. G, number one, there's five points. Here we go. Jesus was physically capable of sinning because he was in a human body. Yes. Okay. Two, Jesus psychologically chose not to sin. That's with the mind. All right. Made a we know that. Yeah. All right. We know that. But now it's wordplay. Hang with me here, okay? Jesus was able not to sin in that he had an unfallen human nature. Okay. He was able not to sin because, like Adam, he had an unfallen human nature. Adam didn't have to sin. Yeah. Okay. He was able not to, he had the potential not to sin. Because he had an unfallen human nature. Yes. You with me? Yeah. Okay. He was able to sin, though, in that he had a human nature, even though unfallen, with the potential for sin. You got to admit that. He could have stolen. He could have lied. He could have done any of those things. All right. So he was able not to sin because he had an unfallen human nature. He didn't have to sin, right? Yes. But he was able to sin. The potential was there because he did have a human nature that does have the capacity to sin. But he was not able to sin in that he had a divine nature with no potential to sin. So how was he not able to sin, able not to sin? It was because of the divine part of him kept him doing what the will of God was. So his nature could sin, but his person could not. Would that be a summary? No, his person could sin. Okay, and his nature didn't have to sin, but it had the human nature didn't have to sin because it was unfallen, but it had the potential to sin because it was just simply human nature, which human nature can sin. Adam sinned, okay, but he was not able to sin, and that doesn't mean that I'm not saying that he he wasn't able to sin at all. He was not able to sin. That is, he was able to resist temptation and not sin. He had the capacity because of the divine nature. Okay. And, and Evan, listen, isn't that true for us? When, we, when we're in sin, Paul said, the things that I want to do, I can't do. But when I'm saved and I'm liberated and I'm set free, and who, he who is one with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Mm-hmm. And so now I have the spirit of, of the Holy Ghost living in spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and my nature has been changed. I've been born again. Yeah. Okay, I've been regenerated. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new, and there's a renewing of my mind. So now I have... I have this new nature in me, okay? Yeah. So I'm able not to sin. Yeah. I can go all day and not sin because I'm a new creation, okay? 
But the reality is every day I still am able to sin because I'm still, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, a jar Mm -hmm. of clay. So because I'm still in the flesh, I'm still able to sin. I don't have to sin, but I'm able to sin. But thank God I'm not able to sin every day. Why? Because of the power of Christ Mm -hmm. that's inside of me. So see, what we're saying here was true for Jesus. It's true for us. It transfers to us. That's good. Yeah, good stuff right there. All right. <clears throat> if we, if, Even if we have to split this into two episodes, we'll do it. Because I would just hate to miss out on things that we need to talk about. Okay. Before we get to some of the, the practical things, this is kind of the last deep, complex whatever. Talk to us um, about the kenosis. Even if you want to pull up real quick that Philippians passage um, and let's walk through it together. So here's what we're meaning. As Dad's pulling it up. <clears throat> Um, in Philippians, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus emptied himself, which is in the Greek, kenosis. Today, and I'm sure in the past, but even today, I won't name names, but there are teachers, even famous teacher teachers, who teach that when Christ emptied himself, that he quite literally emptied himself of his divinity, like poured it out. Like these are people on television and people yeah. who do podcasts and Things like if we that. said their names, you would know some probably. of you would know them. So that he took his divine nature and in a sense poured it out. Whether he scooped it back up again, I don't know, whatever. But at the end of the day, well, we're saying that he is at the same time divine nature, human nature, nothing stopped. They would say that he poured it out and that what he did on the earth, his ministry on the earth was completely just through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and that his divine nature was quieted, poured out, left in temporarily heaven, done away with. He, he yeah. hung it up in the closet in yeah, heaven, and then when he went up. back to heaven, he reached over in the closet and put it back on. That's so, kind of the yeah. Right? That's kind of the idea. That's of it. the idea. So one, let's break down this Philippians passage, and two, let's talk about some of the other implications if Jesus were to lay down his divinity because this is something that you genuinely might hear and then you might it might make sense because if you've listened to any amount of this podcast at all you know the incarnation is extremely complex and difficult yeah yeah, and complex all right and by the way i love it because i bring my bible to these so i even though i've got an ipad and a phone (laughs) you just actually flipped to it (laughs) i I pulled it up on a i pulled it up by turning pages here's what it says I'm going to start at verse 5. And what is this again? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Okay. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And that's, I think, the part where they, the emptying. Mm -hmm. Uh, But taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Okay, so there, that, that verse seven where it says that he made himself of no reputation um, is the verse where it says that he emptied himself of his privileges. Okay. But some people take this to say that he emptied himself as, of his divinity. Is that what this is and saying? And that's not what it's saying. It emptied himself of his... So, it, it, like, I have a footnote in my Bible that says, 
it emptied himself of his privileges. Mm. Okay, so here's 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 the range of theories. You've got the full kenosis theory, um, uh, which in effect denies the full deity of the incarnate Christ or diminishes it. It, it. it means that Christ ceased to be God. A lot of liberals believe this. Yeah. So Christ ceased to be God, and he ceased to possess some or all of the metaphysical attributes of God, like the three omnis, yeah. omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Um but he retained the moral nature of God. Mm. Okay, we don't believe that. Um, the second one is the change of action. It's called the partial kenosis, all right? And it, it, it's, it, is, it assists on the full deity of the incarnate Christ, incarnate Christ, but it holds that he ceased to act as God. So what they say is that he was still fully God, 100% God, 100%, but he stopped acting like God. Mm. Okay, and that one's, that's the one that you have to watch because it's real popular. Tricky too, because they're not saying that he's not divine, but they're right. Yeah. So he continued to possess, but he ceased to use his divine attributes, and he continued to possess, but ceased to make independent use of his divine attributes. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that's real popular among many evangelicals is and is that he was still God. They won't go to the extent to say he wasn't that he laid aside his divine. They'll say, okay, well he kept his divine attributes. Okay, but. That emptying himself of his privileges, making himself no reputation, means that he wouldn't independently use them. That if God the Father told him that he could use him and gave him permission, then he would use them. So he only forgave the woman who of, of her sinful act. You know, there's like he forgave the sinful mm-hmm. woman. Is if God said, "Okay, well, I'm going to let you. You can forgive mm-hmm. her now." He had you to get permission. Had to get permission, okay. and and that and so the, he or they some of them said well, he possessed them, but he just didn't use them. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the change of appearance, which is the non-kenosis theory, says Christ appeared not to use his divine attributes, and, and he appeared in a way that veiled his divine attributes, okay? And this is interesting because we're in the Christmas season, and here's one that'll mess with you, okay? Hark the Herald Angels Sing, yeah. written by Charles Wesley, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Okay, veiled in flesh, mm. the Godhead see. So there's kind of like it was hidden. Yeah. So that's what they mean is that he just Which hid. I think you can take that in an orthodox, like a clear perspective if you walk it. Right. If you walk it through. I don't, I don't know if Charles was saying... Right, his divine nature is hidden, but I see what you're saying. Right, it can be taken wrong, and it has been taken to, to yeah. support that. All right, so here's so that's the theories, the partial kenosis. Mm-hmm. Not here's what we think. Um, the context always in the scripture helps you understand it. Paul tells the Philippians that had the same kind of mentality that Christ had, and that mentality was humility. Okay, and so we're to voluntarily give up any thought of superiority over. Our brothers and sisters of the mm-hmm. Lord, we're to think of our brothers' rights, our our sisters' well-being over our own. That's yeah. that's the context. If you read the verses before it, mm-hmm. okay. So that's what he's talking about, and he's making a tremendous statement on the deity of Christ that that Christ was equal with God. Yeah. Okay. But even though Christ was God, he did not hold on to that position of preeminence as an excuse for not doing what needed to be done. Mm. Okay. Christ was God, but he became a servant for us to, no. to, to redeem us, to die for us, to save us. Wow. All right. And if anyone ever had the right not to be a servant, okay, <laughs> it was Jesus, it was Jesus <laughs> the creator of heaven and earth, okay? 
So, but he said, you know what? I'm not going to let that keep me from doing what I need to do. So that whole self-emptying, make himself a no reputation. This is what I said earlier. It was not the subtraction of any of his deity. Okay, so we can't say that he laid aside his divine. It was just the addition of humanity. Okay, because only if he were a man could he die for the sins of the world. So it had nothing to do with the expression of or the lack of expression of Jesus' divine attributes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he chose to live as a man to experience fully what what being a human was like, but he could not cease to be God. Okay, so I think the emptying, emptying concerned becoming a man to be able to die. So the kenosis means leaving his pre-incarnate position and taking on servant humanity. Wow. Okay. In the kenosis, Christ emptied himself of retaining and exploiting his status in the Godhead and took on humanity in order to die. And in order to not hold on to his preeminence, it doesn't mean he has to empty out his divinity, but the very fact that God, even though he is remaining divine, would add tiredness and human emotions and hunger and the capability of death and serving the very humans that would nail him to the cross. And trials and temptations. Exactly. He doesn't have to lose his divinity to not count that as something to be held onto because he is adding all of those very things at the same time, which he could have avoided as God. Right. And I think, so to sum it up, if somebody's saying, well, okay, so let's do it one more time, Chris. Philippians 2 does not teach that Christ ceased to be God or that he ceased to possess divine attributes or to use various divine attributes. That's not what it teaches. What it does teach is that Christ did not come in a form that exhibited or manifested his divine glory. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And if we've looked at anything from the church, this this is what the church teaches. Right. And if we've looked at these councils, if anything... The church has gone, uh, I mean, just they've done everything they can to preserve the truth about the incarnation. And just this is a little lesson. Never, this is why you don't do theology alone. This is why you read what other people say and look at church history and talk it out with other people. Because if it's just me and my Bible, you can come up with all kinds of nonsense. You need to have other people. Every every sound doctrine, when it's been codified, has been done in council. Exactly. Because it's together that people can process through. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, absolutely. As the body of Christ. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's excellent. And I wanted us to talk about that um, because even if you're just reading that, you can really misunderstand that. And then, too, if you hear somebody maybe that you respect, maybe you've heard some good sermons before, then they come up saying something like that. We don't want you to be caught off guard or um, get confused or, 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 or believe in something that's not true. Um, but let's close this thing out. So we've talked a whole lot about doctrine, about clarification, about these really just uh, deep subjects. And you maybe have gotten to this point and you're going, all right, what's the point? What's the point of the incarnation? Is it just to say, well, here's what's true and here's not true. Here's what's not true, which is good. But is there a point to this truth? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you, for me, I've got seven, seven things, and I'm going to go fast. So don't yeah. freak out. Because, Lord, is this another 30 minutes? No, just I'm going to hit it fast, okay? Why did we have to have the incarnation? The incarnation. Why did Jesus have to come in flesh? All right, one, to reveal God to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, think about that. They could touch him. They could hear him. They could see him. 
God came in flesh. God yeah. walked among men. That's, That's pretty powerful. Well, we've got the record of that. Mm-hmm. So we can see what it's like to be a God man or a God woman. Not, not you know, we're not deities, but we've been born again and we're made in his image and, it's, and salvation restores that image. Mm-hmm. And, and God made us to be like him. Jesus is truly human. Right. In the original sense of our purpose. Right. So he reveals God to us. I can see God in that human form and yeah. learn things about God. Second, to provide an example for us. So he overcame sin, I can overcome sin. I can learn how to deal with people. I can deal, learn how to deal with difficult people. I can learn how to be gracious. Mm-hmm. So he gives us some, I can learn how to walk and live in the spirit and operate in the power of the gifts of the spirit. Yeah. Jesus operating seven of the nine gifts of the spirit that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Um, this is the big one, to provide an effective sacrifice for sin. That's the whole point is he had to come as a man to die, because only a man can die, yeah. to, to, to be the, the one who paid the price for our redemption. Um, this was an interesting one, to fulfill the Davidic covenant. Um, it, Gabriel came to Mary and said that your son would possess the throne of David, mm. or he was promised the throne of David. So in the, new, in, the, in the thousand year reign, there will be a throne of David. They will sit again on the throne, but it took Jesus to fulfill that covenant, okay, to destroy the works of the devil. The Bible says, for this reason was a son of man manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Satan held the keys of death, and he held man and bondage to sin, but through the death, Jesus made a, Colossians 2, Jesus made a public spectacle of him, triumphing mm-hmm. over him in the cross. And so uh, he destroyed whatever works the devil had done all the way back to the Garden of Eden in one fell swoop at Calvary. Through his incarnation, ultimate Calvary, Jesus destroyed his works. Isn't that great? That's awesome. The devil is defeated. And then final two, to be a sympathetic high priest. Hebrews says that we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and weaknesses. Why? Because Jesus was one of us. Yeah. He was human. Now, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is an intercessor. And so when we have a difficult time and we pray to Jesus and Jesus talked to the Father, we get divine aid because he says, I know what they're going through. Finally, this is the last one. This is an interesting one, to be a righteous judge. Yeah. A qualified judge. We think God the Father is going to, judge, but Jesus is the one that's going to judge. And it's going to, part of that judgment, even though he's God, he knows everything. When when sinners stand before him, he can say, now look, I walked among you. I know what it's like. And I gave my life for you so that you don't have to be like this. And he'll be able to be the righteous judge of all humanity because he was a God man. How's that? That's quick seven. That's excellent. Powerful stuff right there. I don't even know if I haven't, do I have anything different on here? I don't think so. I don't even think I did. That's fantastic. If we don't have the incarnation, we don't have any of that. We don't have salvation. We don't have that true representative. That's just absolutely awesome. Yeah. It's, that's what he said. It's central. It's central. And we'll go full circle. This is so important. And I, I hope you hung in here with us today and you're, you're mm-hmm. hanging in here with us because this is rich stuff. It'll make you appreciate, as you're here in the Christmas season, it'll make you appreciate when you look at that little nativity scene yeah. and you see that little little baby Jesus in a manger, just back up and say, wow. Yeah. That's God. And that, that's, a, you know, obviously a symbol. It's a little baby Jesus nativity. But that's, that was God in the flesh. That was God coming down here. Man, what he did for us. For us. Unbelievable. That's awesome. Well, we hope um, that this discussion has helped you. I want to encourage you to, we talked about the creeds. If you want a good review of this, 
um, go ahead and Google the Nicene Creed, um, N-I-C-E-A-M, and just read it. And then the Chalcedonian Creed. Go ahead and Google that too. I know we read those on here, but when you get to really look at them and break them down and read them, I think that it will be much clearer to you. And you'll see some of the language that we use and some of the points that we pointed out. And so I just want to encourage you, you can find those just with a quick Google search pretty easily. Um, but we hope today's episode has helped you. We hope that you understand the incarnation just a little bit more.